Welcome to Restored Gospel Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We were discussing grace and works and a little bit about how we ever got to where we are today when that discussion comes up. And when we left off last time, we we were talking about a group of people in this land that had a little different understanding of the Mosaic Law and its purpose and what works were and, um, and how that might tie into uh, what Paul was trying to get across to the people in the New Testament. And so I think we're going to pick up there on this episode and just see... See what those uh, what the people were seeing in this land uh, from the tribe of Joseph, uh, one of the tribes of Israel that were were broken off and led over here. What was their understanding of the law, Corey? Well, great question. Thanks, Mike. It's good to be back. You know this idea of the law when uh, Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt and taking them back to the to the uh, promised land. That was the goal. They received guidance from God in, in forms of uh, stone tablets, okay? And, and he, he wrote down laws, but part of the problem was these were a disobedient people. And, and the people who God loved and, and chose to carry out covenants um, were also rebellious. And, and so we're told later, and we'll share a few scriptures from the Book of Mormon, that the laws that they had, they, they weren't the end that God wanted them to have. They were actually given because of disobedience. And this law of Moses had lots of aspects to it. There were uh, 248 thou shalt do's, 365 thou shalt do nots, 613 total. And it governed every aspect of Jewish living, eating, sleeping, worshiping, marrying, procreating, everything. And so for 1,500 years from Moses on to the time of Christ's death, that if you were in the church, so to speak, if you were an Israelite uh, through birth, you lived this law. And it was known as the law. It was just the law. Um, it governed everything of, of this culture, of the people historically and culturally. But when Nephi departs Jerusalem about 600 years before Jesus comes, you remember part of the story, Mike, they had to go back and they had to get something from Jer- from Jerusalem, from Laban. What was that? It was right. a it was a record. Yeah. It was, it was uh, the plates. It was the plates. And the plates served several purposes, actually. And I don't know at the time that they even realized why they had to have it. But what's fascinating is the fact that they brought this record um, after they obtained the plates Lehi shares a few things about him. And he said, you know, one of the things is it told their genealogy. They first discovered that they were of the tribe of Joseph, and that's special in itself. We can come back to that later. But another thing is it says it contained the first five books of Moses, an account of the creation, and it contained writings of the prophets, even up until through Isaiah and Jeremiah, who was a contemporary of the day. So it's kind of like the Old Testament up until the point where they lived. But specifically... In that was this law of Moses. And this was important because if you were a Jew or of, of Israel and you wanted to live according to God's rules, you know, unless you had the thing memorized, 613, you needed to have it written down. So these plates were something they brought over. And so when they come to America, they are practicing the same law of Moses. And I won't go through all the examples of the law, but you know, it talked about 
cleansing and purification and things you eat and and sacrifices of animals you give what and when and where and why and how many and all these things were things that they rituals they did but early on nephi and it was such a blessing to the his progeny the people come after him that they would just live under this knowledge that it all pointed towards Christ. All of Israel lived under this, but all of a sudden Nephi understands that this points towards Christ. And he writes in 1 Nephi chapter 1, verse 117, regarding these plates, he says, I also thought that they could not keep the commandments of the Lord to the law of Moses, save they should have the law. So that was one of the reasons why he had these plates. But Mosiah adds later, uh, and Nephi even writes later, he said, we, we, this is 2 Nephi 4, verse 14, we did observe to keep the judgments and statutes and commandments of the Lord in all things according to the law of Moses. So in Nephi's day, you know, 600 years before Christ, he, he's keeping this law, his people are, he's teaching them because it does one thing, it points them towards Christ. But, but King Benjamin, you know, a few hundred years later, writes something very important. He says to his people, Yet the Lord God saw that his people were a stiff-necked people, and he appointed unto them even the law of Moses. And yet they hardened their hearts and understood not that the law of Moses availeth nothing except it were through the atonement of his blood. Now that's important right there. When And we'll come back to Paul. I, I want to show, if we can, in a few scriptures, how beautiful the Book of Mormon is, is it, at explaining and answering this question that the world is throwing at us, like, are you saved by grace or are you saved by works? And, and it really comes down to something different. It's, it's, do you realize that Jesus Christ was the point of all this? And have you come to him? That's ultimately what it means to find salvation. But, but the works part, the, the law of Moses required a certain response. And that was called also the law of works in, in the day that they lived under it. But Nephi realized it all pointed towards Jesus and did King Benjamin and Alma and other writers. So in this history of the Nephites, the, the, and as we read in our last section, a couple other scriptures where Nephi so eloquently states simply that redemption comes through the Holy Messiah, 2 Nephi chapter 1, 71-72. He offers himself as a sacrifice for sin to answer the ends of this law of justice, this thing that cast us out of God's presence for those whose hearts are broken and contrite. Unto none else can the ends of the law be answered. So that's our change. If we, if we aren't changed, if our hearts don't become bro- broken and, and we realize that salvation is in and only through Jesus, it doesn't work. That's, that's how salvation happens. Isn't, and Corey, isn't that the crux of the whole, the spirit behind the argument? It is. There's a spirit that is within man and he thinks if I can win this argument, what I'm doing is proving to myself that I don't have to change. And I don't I have don't, to have a savior. I don't have to become broken and I don't have to become contrite. And I'll acknowledge that Christ died for me. But really, when I think a lot of time when people are fighting in that argument, it's because there's a spirit behind mankind that he just doesn't want to face the fact that he needs to change, that he has to go against his own nature and, and submit to something higher so that he can then have the greatest benefit, but he, but but we don't want to pay that price. And so, 
it's a lot easier to live this life thinking I've got, I can have all of the benefits and, and partake of it. And then Christ has died for me. And so I can have my heavenly uh, benefits as well. And, and you never really learn that your, your nature's never changed. Right. His nature, I should say his nature is never allowed to overtake your nature and then give you the blessings that come with that. And so that's the crux of the argument, though, is that spirit, that evil spirit that does not want to be humble and contrite. Right. And, and you know, you just summarize that so well. That is the, the ultimate challenge of life is that will his spirit overtake us and will we submit our will to his? And will I exercise faith and belief that in the end, that spirit will be much more enjoyable than anything else I can partake in? Right, right. Mm-hmm. Well, these Nephites, you know, so much to be thankful for their writings because they wrote more. They, 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 Nephi says in 2 Nephi 8, and we've shared this last time, but it's worth repeating. He says, My soul delights in proving unto my people the truth of the coming of Christ, for for this end hath the law of Moses been given. So this whole law that they carried in the plates, he realized, is a type and shadow to point towards Jesus. Now remember, this was the same issue in Jerusalem and Israel, but the people didn't seem to get this clear message like the Nephites that it all pointed towards Jesus. Alma 16, 215, if there's a scripture that, that spells it out, it's this. He writes, Behold, this is the whole meaning of the law. Every whit, and that's just a particle, point of the law, pointing to that great and last sacrifice. And that great and last sacrifice will be the Son of God, yea, infinite and eternal. And thus he shall bring salvation to all those who believe on his name. And so, this this whole idea that you know we believe on his name means that we believe and choose to follow and he becomes us and we become part of him and and every part of this law was pointing towards that sacrifice this in in a type and shadow form you know sorry i didn't want no to, go ahead the interesting thing i was just thinking if the more righteous were brought to this land those that were separated from their brethren and the more wicked were left in the city because lehi had been preaching for for a period of time, hey, this is going to be destroyed because of the wickedness. So if the more righteous were taken away, those were left. The ones that were taken away started to see, you know, understood that this was pointing to Jesus. It wasn't those that were left. Not only did they not see that, they be, they expounded on the law, like not just the law. And this is where it was confusing to me for a long time. You, you, you named off how many laws there were in thou shalt and thou shalt not. But they had all kinds of other writings that they just added on to just about right. every situation in life, the extra Talmudic writings. And yep. um, so not only did they not understand it pointing to Christ, they kept making more. They, they enjoyed that process of making more and more laws to follow so that they could become more and more righteous if they could do them better than anyone else, you know? Yeah. And, and so and, what, are, what are the people of the Book of Mormon say, hey, they look beyond the mark, you know, yeah. they, they missed the point and then they, they even muddied it even more. So by the time Jesus came on the scene, there was... Many, they were so far consumed in themselves, they didn't even know where to turn for Many, truth. many more yeah. laws had, had and, and customs and, and traditions had been... Uh, come up with to follow in order to be righteous. Oh, yeah. Just... And so a, a great point to yours, Mike, is uh, so the day Jesus finds the lame man and heals him, well, it's on the Sabbath. And so it, Jesus makes some beautiful points. But what does he tell the lame man? He says, hey, pick up your bed. Now that right there 
was a rabbinical, from the rabbis, a law that they had written in that you can't lift anything on the Sabbath because to them, that's a work. So they're yeah. taking works in the other direction. Not, you, not found in Leviticus or in the... No, that was just their quote, own. That's quote a, Bible. That was an example of how many, how far, how far beyond that they'd gone. Yeah, so in, in their face... Uh, you know, Jesus, you know, kind of thumbing his nose at them because they missed the point of who he was. He he lets them stew in this to the point where they're infuriated because he tells this guy who's been healed, carry your bed and go show them you're healed. And so they can't even enjoy the fact that this guy is healing and mar- healed and marvel in it. They're just infuriated that he's carrying his bed and, you know, he's been <laughs> he's been healed. And so this is you know, it's beautiful in many aspects, the fact that Jesus then points out, he said, well, the Sabbath, it's lawful to do good, and I did a good work. And so he he spins all this back around to point towards the fact that he calls us to do the same. We're called to do good works, you know? This right. is what it means to live in Christ. And maybe we aren't going to heal lame people and have them carry their bed. But the point is, don't get so caught up in the letters of these laws that you forget the spirit of it. And the point is, it's better to do good. I heard this was part of the rabbinical uh, arguments that, you know, they they got confounded because, for instance, the law required circumcision. Well, and the circumcision was required on the eighth day. So the problem was this: if the Sabbath was the the, uh, the Sabbath and that was the seventh day, what happens if you had a male child born on Friday and one week and a day later, eight days later? It's his day to be circumcised, but it's on the Sabbath. Well, the conundrum the rabbis found themselves in, and they had to reason their way through this, was they said, well, how can we circumcise on the Sabbath, even though it's required, because the rabbi has to lift his little satchel that has his scalpel or whatever <laughs> used or sharp glass and, and carry it over to the home, and that's violating the law. So it's like, do we circumcise or do we not? They, they caught themselves in the corner. Well, Jesus would say it's lawful to do good, so you're covered, okay? But that's the type, that's how far these arguments went with them. And so missing the fact that here's Jesus in their midst, they're 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 debating these finer points of the law, and and he's the one who says, I'm the one who gave the law. And and so we come back to the Nephites, and here's another beautiful scripture, Alma 14:75. It says notwithstanding the law of Moses, they did look forward to the coming of Christ, concerning that the law of Moses was a type of his coming, and believing that they must keep those outward performances until the time that he should be revealed unto them. So, I mean, again, the beauty of this understanding, I can't imagine how a farm boy in the 1800s would ever understood this. I mean, you could ask some kid today on the street, you know, hey, tell me about the law of Moses. What did it point towards? And they're just going to give you a dumb look. Maybe they'll say, I can look it up on my phone or something, mm-hmm. you know, but but the whole point is uh, this meaning could only come from people who understood it. And and so many examples in the in the Book of Mormon, uh, Mosiah 130, before King Benjamin's speech, they take the firstlings of their flocks, they offer sacrifice and burnt offerings. One of the few times it's even mentioned, even though it talks about them keeping the law of Moses, it spells out that they offered that because they were keeping that out of the commandment. But then Nephi writes this, and this is this sums it up. Second Nephi eleven forty five in the RLDS version. Notwithstanding we believe in Christ, we keep the law of Moses and look forward with steadfastness, that's that determination, with steadfastness unto Christ until the law shall be fulfilled, for for this end was the law given. Wherefore, the law hath become dead unto us, 
we are made alive in Christ because of our faith. Wherefore, we speak concerning the law that our children might know the deadness of the law. So it's like, okay, we're going to sacrifice this lamb, kids, and we're doing it because we were required to, but this isn't where your salvation comes. It's not the blood of this lamb on this little baby sheep. It's the blood of the lamb of God. And they taught that as they sacrificed. And so they say, and so by knowing this, this is uh, 2 Nephi 11, verse 50, and they, by knowing the deadness of the law, might look forward unto that life which is in Christ for and know for what end the law was given. You know, I mean, we could stop right here and jump back into the New Testament and start looking at what Paul was saying, and, 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 it, and it expands understanding. It sheds so much light on this, but, it, but the, yet there's so much more in the Book of Mormon. I mean, you can kind of go through the whole time period when you come up to Jesus, and he's present with them, and he says several times, he announces to the people, in, in, in the very first words, he says, I, I've come unto you uh, that, uh, and the law of Moses is fulfilled. This is his very first words, Third Nephi 4, verse 47. As many have received me, to them have I given to become the sons of God. And even so many I, uh, will I to as many as shall believe on my name. For behold, by me redemption cometh, and in me is the law of Moses fulfilled. So he, he just explains, your salvation came to me, came from me, and only through me, and the law of Moses is done. Isn't that exactly what Ephesians 2.8 and Galatians 3.16 and all these other scriptures that were kind of the conundrum, or, or Romans 3.28, this one that uh, you know uh, Martin Luther says, I can't reconcile Romans and James. You know, it's talking about these works, and it's talking about faith, and talking about all these things. Jesus is saying it so clearly here. He's saying... The law of Moses, those works are done. I'm the source of salvation. I've always been that. And so once the Nephites have this understanding, and he shares it with them several times, we finally jump ahead to when their civilization is now expanding in the light of, of the teachings of Jesus Christ. Fourth Nephi, chapter 1, verse 13. This is into this golden time period of the Nephites, and it states, they, the Nephites, did not walk any more after the performances and ordinances of the law of Moses, but they did walk after the commandments which they had received from the Lord their God, continuing in fasting and prayer and meeting together oft, both to pray and to hear the word of the Lord. So it's like the law of Moses was done because they had the Savior. And it was done for everyone in the world, but the people over in the New Testament still didn't get this picture that it all pointed towards Jesus. So you have Paul working in earnest to try to teach the people the same thing. And, and you get books upon, you know, Hebrews, James, uh, Galatians, Romans. Uh, they're, they're all books talking about these works of the law that are dead that all point to the fact that salvation and life ever and only came through Jesus. That was the message. And, and, and Paul had a much tougher crowd to, oh, yeah. to try to teach because the the Hebrew culture that was left over there that wasn't separated long ago, you know, as we said, was the more wicked, uh, the people that, that wouldn't listen, that oh, wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't listen to Lehi's preaching and probably many other prophets that, and so they were just steeped in that. You know, there's an interesting story in the book of Acts. It's chapter 21, I believe, where um, the apostles who've accepted Paul now, they realize, hey, he is one of them. Yeah, he wasn't just a counterfeit guy coming to spy on them or whatever. Um, he's a follower of Jesus. 
there's an interesting storyline where in this moment of time, the apostles are trying to keep peace. And they said, there's a lot of people still zealous of the law and they're, they're worried that you're preaching against the law. So to, to satisfy them, will, will you just go, there's some people who are still, who, who hadn't been converted yet, and they're still going to go follow through on the sacrificial stuff that the law required. Uh, you know, even though they didn't realize it was done, it was behind them now. Would you just go play along with them and join in so that they can see, okay, it's okay, so that they won't kill us and stone us? You know, that's basically what they were asking. So you know what? Paul actually does this. Paul actually goes, and he kind of goes along with the, the gag for a little bit, and then it's almost pulled off, and in the end, someone says, and this is all contained in the Acts uh, chapter 21, Hey, he's one of those disciples, and they yank this guy out, and they torture him. And it's because they said, you've been preaching against the law. And it's like the people, like you said, he had a tougher crowd. Oh, yeah, they were wanting to kill people for teaching against the law. That's how much they missed the point of the law. And so the, you can't understand. I, I mean, yeah, you can get the story of Jesus, and that if you get that, you know, praise the Lord, because that is the story. But that this parallel storyline in the New Testament about how they were trying to reteach these people who had been steeped in these traditions. That was the challenge, and that was the thing they were speaking about all throughout the New Testament. Mm. I had a few thoughts I was writing down, jotting down, because I didn't want to ruin your mojo as you were going through all that. <laughs> Sorry for the sermon. No, no. <laughs> I was I was, uh, I was, was sitting here just enjoying it and soaking it in. I didn't want to ruin your train of thought. So here's a couple questions, Corey. Um, when I look at the, when we talk about the people in the Book of Mormon and how that scripture you read, they they were free from the law. They look no more towards that, but towards salvation in Christ. How do we, we can't even begin to understand what a change of lifestyle there was for those people. Mm-hmm. Um, not only was this, you know, this wonderful spiritual thing happening, but their actual physical lives just changed dramatically. And there had to be so much more freedom um, when they when they came to understand this, just from all of the physical things they had to do and that they no longer had to do. So yeah. there was a freedom there. So I was trying to think, us Gentiles, us today, it's easy to look at the the Jews at the time of Jesus, and and we always point out the Pharisees and all of these laws, and we say, man, how could they be so blind, or how could they be all wrapped up in these traditions? Like you said, you know, pick up your bed and walk. He just healed this guy and completely blinded to that and the fact that, look what he just did on the Sabbath. So if they were like that, and then we're told that the time of the Gentiles will become fulfilled because they'll reject the fullness of the gospel— Mm -hmm just like they were blinded and they had their own way of living. I just think about the Gentiles and if you want to include us in that, what are we blinded to and what, um, because we're looking back, right? We're yeah, always looking wow. back. And so we know that, you know, this law of Moses and stuff, we didn't have to experience it, but to see a culture and all of a sudden one day you wake up and it's like, man, the whole culture, the whole lifestyle, it would be like us waking up tomorrow and all of a sudden none of us had to go work for money or uh-huh. even pay for anything because some giant switch in the way that we live out our lives had just, had just changed. Mm-hmm. But So now I look at us as Gentiles now in this day and age, and we can look back at the Jews and, and look how silly they were for being, you know, with all of their laws and traditions and they killed Christ. What? 
what are we bound to? What are we blinded by in this day and age, the Gentiles at large, that then wraps us up into that point where the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled and we've rejected the gospel and it's going to go back to the Jews. We have our own blindness, right? In some way, shape or form. And, you know, can we see it or are we too tied up in it like they were, like the Pharisees were? Wow. You know, I think that's probably the challenge to to every human since, since Adam is that somehow we fall away. And boy, what a great question, Mike, you know, as a, as Maybe a no easy answer. I don't. And, not and that I want an answer. And there's probably not just one answer, yeah, right, too. Right. But you know, there's there's a couple things that Scripture points out, and Helaman chapter four makes a great point that you know God wants to bless us. He wants to pour out blessings upon us. He's wanted to do that not just for us in our day, but for all of His people. Whoever comes to Him, keep my commandments, and you'll prosper. But yet, the the Scripture spells out so clearly that it's in the very day that he blesses us and pours out these blessings. It's in that day that we somehow forget him. And I think that's one of the things that's happened to the Gentile nation. We've, we've had so much prosperity and so much abundance that we think it's somehow something we did. And so one of the Book of Mormon scriptures that talks about the Gentiles in the last days, and it says the nations of the Jews and the Gentiles will be drunken in iniquity, in iniquity. That, that life has become so comfortable and so easy for us. And I, and I know I'm not speaking about everyone in the world, but, but in our culture, that somehow sin becomes enticing and sin becomes this thing where it's like, oh, well, God will forgive this. This is easy. You know, our culture is accepting of this. They pass laws now. It's good, right? You can do it. So that type of attitude, those are the flax and cords. Those are the little silk bands that hold on to us, and they, they tie our soul That when they become this, this cord. And so that's, that's the first place is that, you know, and it's not that all of a sudden we become Pharisees in judgment uh, towards people around us, but that we, we, we realize that the, that the slippery slope away from God will, will happen through, through pleasure and through um, just finding comfort and that process of forgetting God. So that's one of the things that I think is forecast that the Gentiles will deal with. You know, we didn't have to go through the law of Moses. Thank you, Lord. But we're given the gospel and even the purity of the gospel. Well, the, the next thing that I think is, is evident, if we learn from the third book of Nephi, chapter 7 in the Book of Mormon, is that there would be a time when the Gentiles, and, and, and when I say Gentiles, I'm not just speaking to people in America or this land, but, but yes, I am too. But the nations of the Gentiles, the, the ones who weren't Jews, who received this gospel that was restored in its truth, in its purity to the world, this simple message that you have to be changed, that is the gospel. You know, people equate it too much with events that happened in 1830, and they, they miss this greater message that, no, God offers his spirit to anyone who will come to him, who anyone who desires to lay down their will in life, and he, de- and he will change you. That's the message of the gospel. And it's only the changed. That means your code word, broken, contrite, penitent. That's the change. Broken heart, contrite spirit, born again, all that. Those are the ones who get to be with him in eternity. And he has a plan and a desire for us. Well, so this truth comes back to the world, not muddied up through traditions and not muddied up by people who think, oh, well, you got to argue on grace and works. You know, works in Jesus Christ and grace are are an inseparable package. You know, it can't be divided. And people want to make us think it is divided. No, no, no. God says if you're 
if you are, you know, allowing my spirit to dwell with you and within you, the works of my spirit come forth in you, from you, you know, through from me, through you. That's the one package. It can't be separated. So what this other larger problem the Gentiles face is that we've gotten caught up in these very arguments uh, and, and missed the bigger light is that, you know, we've, we've got a, a generation or more of people now who think all I have to do is say God exists and somehow I'm saved. And, and, and there never has to be a change of heart. That's, to me, the biggest single downfall of the Gentiles who've come to the gospel of Christ, of realizing that, no, a change is required by definition. And the false understanding that any, any discussion of change is therefore equated with works, therefore is off the table for discussion because works in, in Christianity have no bearing. See how Satan has weave, woven that into the argument. You know, it's like telling Eve, did God really say you were going to die? You know, and, and get her to think, oh, maybe I'll buy this apple. I guess I didn't die. I'm okay. That's how he works. So we've accepted some lies, and that's caused the fact that through prophecy, the story's not done yet. Yes, we have been given a fullness and a truth, and we haven't handled it well. At least we haven't taken it to the world, and, and, and certainly... In a, in a more personal sense, we've missed the message of the change in, in, in individually. And on account of all that, 3 Nephi 7 kind of looks at the Gentiles in two groups. It says, hey, to the unbelieving of the Gentiles, well, you scattered my people. You know, you, you scattered the Native Americans. You scattered the Jews. You became obsessed with yourselves. Yeah, that was the people who never heard the gospel. But yet it also talks about the people who are the believers of the gospel who sin and reject it. So there's judgment from two different angles. One is about people who were recipients of blessings in these Gentile lands that all came from God, whether we acknowledged him or not. But then there's judgment on the people who had the gospel and weren't changed by it. When all that happens, and this is where the story continues, God says, don't worry, I'm going to take that gospel back to the original people it came from. And this is where the story comes full circle. The the Israelites, the remnant of Joseph on this land, uh, the scattered tribes throughout the world, they become unified by the standard of God's word that comes forth through this record of Nephi that we kind of dabbled with and thought it pointed towards us. And, and we thought, hey, we got this record. We're the true church. Come come find us and, and you know, we're going to build Zion. And it's like, well, that hasn't happened either because our hearts weren't changed. How do you build God's kingdom without a changed heart? But what the forecast of Scripture seems to point to is that in a day to come, maybe very soon, maybe it's happening even now, that the gospel goes back to the original house of Israel and their hearts are changed and they never stray again. And the world is changed because of it. And the Scripture that you've, you've pointed out so well multiple times in your class, it says, and, and this group of people who always looked and said, hey, you know, God is so great because he led us through the... The sea, he, he, that, he, he, that, he, that will be remembered no more. And what will they say? What will be their great, their great? Oh um, my gosh! Tribute to God now. Yeah, it's it's Jeremiah twenty three, and it's it's beautiful. It, 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 thanks for bringing that one up, Mike. This whole culture of the Jews is centered around this law. I mean, it's there's no separation of it. But the but the events of the people 
of the Hebrews coming through the Exodus story, leaving Pharaoh's grasp, going through the wilderness, having the sea open and, and living in the desert for 40 years and then finally crossing over the Jordan into the promised land. That is the story that today you go to a Jewish synagogue or in someone's home and you're going to hear about this. You know, Whether they're a traditionalist or a modernist, everyone comes back to that because that is the life of Judaism. right? And yet Jeremiah says the days are going to come when you're no more going to talk about what God did for you back then, bringing you out of Egypt. But the days are going to come when in the future, he's going to gather you from the world. This is where the scriptures were. Two were in the mill. One was taken, the other left. Two were in the home. One was taken, the other left. That isn't a rapture thing. That's a, that's a misnomer. What this is referring to is the power of God is going to be seen by the world in how he's going to gather his people to Zion. And there, it's not just Gentiles, us who found this gospel here in our day, but the Israelites who are part of the covenant to whom this gospel returns, there's going to be this miraculous gathering. And then God says in 3 Nephi 10, he says, I'm going to be, in, I'm going, to be going before you. I'm going to be going behind you. I'm going to be, your rear word is the scripture in uses. Your in your midst. He says, and, and you won't go out by haste. I'm going to gather you from around the world to my kingdom. And he said, when the Jews begin to respond to this word of Christ, he said, then is the time he said, I will be jealous for you. I'm coming back for you. I have not forgotten you. He's like, Hey, can a woman forget her, her nursing child? He said, they, she might forget, but I won't forget you. You know? And so this is just a beautiful foretelling of how all these things that the Jews stumbled over, you know, thinking that, hey, with circumcision and lamb sacrifice and all these things were the point, they're going to realize, no, it all pointed towards Jesus. And they're going to follow him and fall down. And their hearts will be broken. Their spirits will be contrite. And this is how the story ends. In, in, in the, and this is how, as Isaiah 2 says, Zion will be established in the top of the mountains and nations will flow unto it because they're going to know that Jesus is there. And they're going to want to go learn of his ways. And that will make them beat their swords to plowshares and, and, and put down their weapons of destruction against each other. And the world will be humbled in the sight of Jesus Christ. I, uh, I was just thinking while you were talking, you know, what lessons can we, can we gather from all of this that we've been talking about? And I think one of them is when, we're, when we start to look at the Jews and, and wonder, like, how could they have killed Christ and how could they have been so caught up in this, you know, all of these laws and miss the message of the day, I think we should immediately always turn our, our focus inward to our own selves and say, let's, let's give out some grace to the people that have gone before us and that have, you know, written their stories and books that we have to read to learn from. Let's exercise grace towards them and... and um, and look inward and say, what, you know, what am I missing? You know, am I just so bound up in the sins of pleasure that I, I don't understand that there's a higher way to live that is so much better? Or am I just, you know, I'm bound up in, in many sins that just like they were. And, and I'm blind to the, maybe the, the bigger way. Um, the other thing I thought of when you were saying that was, uh, you know, they'll no, they'll no longer look back and say, you know, God brought us through this, you know, that that's going to pale in comparison to the fact that, He's gathered them home and in their midst, and he's their God. I wonder if the day will come when we won't look back and say, hey, you know, priesthood authority was restored in, in 1830, and plates came out of the ground, and that's going to 
pale in comparison. Not that I don't want to downplay any of it. That's that's a magnificent thing, and that started the work that's going to gather everything back. But but that's not going to be our identity. Right. Our identity is going to be I'm a child of God, and Jesus Amen. is here, and He's in our midst, and I, you know, I have the opportunity to go out and share Him with the world. And, and this time, I'm not just pointing to a story, but I'm pointing to a city and a place I'm, and say, come dwell, come learn here. of his ways. He's here. <laughs> and that's all we're going to care about, you know. And, and so uh, it's a hard line to walk because we've been so involved in, and it's been such a short history of our church that these records came forth and priesthood and everything was restored. And we have, oh, my gosh, you're quoting all of these scriptures from the Book of Mormon. What if we didn't have those things? Such perspective, mm. such uh, insights that we have into our loving Father and His Son. It's just, it's such a gift. We have these things, but but that gift isn't the end of the story. It's it's, uh, and we've made it. Sometimes we've made it the story. You know, let's prove that this book is true. I don't care about proving the book's true. I, you know, I want we want to prove to that see, He's true. That He's true, and that He's. Uh, that there's a fuller story to know about uh, while we're here in 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 this present time. Um, gosh, well, you know, you you bring up some excellent points, Mike, and uh, you know, I, I just love what you said though too about you know how sometimes we focus, and this might be one of the one of the other downfalls that we didn't think it was a downfall. We we promoted a, a certain events in our history, and and not to say they aren't important and don't have their place but they become the reason to tell people hey you need to join our church because well the, the plates are true we have the book of mormon we have this and that i can prove to you that joseph smith was a prophet you know we go through all these arguments and they might be true but the point is they're supposed to all bring people to christ and the changed heart and sometimes we've missed that message and if we don't see that as the the overriding most important message we can share you know what are we converting people to so Oh my gosh, just, you know, I'm excited for the fact that the story foretells that someday it changes, that someday all these people aren't converted to me or what I think about Jesus or what I could tell about the history of the church or the history of men in the Gentile world, but that everyone's going to be getting it firsthand. Another beautiful scripture, I believe, from Jeremiah says that same day they'll, where they're talking about, they're not going to talk about being led out of Israel or out of Egypt, rather, but being gathered from the world. It also says, no one will say, know the Lord, for they will all know the Lord. You know, you aren't going to have to tell your neighbor, hey, you want me to tell you about Jesus? Because everyone's going to have direct access. <laughs> and and we, that's what it means. We'll see eye to eye. You know, where it's like, no, we, we all get it from him. And there's no arguing, arguing, no discussion, no, no bickering, contention. And, and it's going to be that way everywhere. And that's, that's what the kingdom on earth is going to be like. It's hard for me to imagine existence like that without opposition. Mm -hmm. Because I think part of me and part of probably all of us in our human nature is we become not addicted, but maybe comfortable or at least acknowledge that opposition and you know there's a little bit of fightness every day to have to fight against that what do you do when you rest from that and and i know you're not bored but it's just really hard to think what do i do when i like you know, you know you know something to can think think about though on that point right there mike and i know you're on a roll i don't want you yeah. to lose your thought but just consider this what if the opposition will still exist but the difference is this people choose not to partake Mm -hmm. in the wrong you know there's a scripture i think it's in first nephi 7 and it says 
because of the righteousness of the saints. This is describing a day to come. Because of the righteousness of the, sta- of the saints, Satan has no power. Now consider that, that, you know, obviously in the millennium, you know, Satan's bound and everything. But just think of the fact that the society might be just like in the Nephites day where they could have sinned, but for a couple hundred years they didn't because they were so converted in their hearts that they chose not to. It's like maybe the opposition never goes away. It's just what we finally overcome and we know how to choose. I don't know. I, uh, I was thinking, you know, we talk about being born again and having that um, experience. And like you said, with Nicodemus, the Lord told him that, that it's just not as easy as to believe, but you have to be born again. When a baby comes into the world, Corey, they have no idea what sunlight is or <laughs> what food is, or they have no idea what they're in store of for the next 70 years. And I wonder, you know, that born again experience, we have no idea. We have no idea what kind of world we're entering into. But um, when you have that born again experience, you know that, man, something has changed. I am in a new type of existence. I'm in a, I'm existing in a way I have no idea could be possible. And you just, Jack talked about that born again experience when he was here, that, that starts you on that path. And you just hopefully want to continue on to seek out what that world's going to be like one day. But none of us have, we have no idea. We can't, we, we, we can't, when we say we can't imagine that becomes cliche, right? But really think about that. You, you cannot conjure up in your mind something even beginning to be great as what the Lord has in store for you. You just, you can't. And if you think about that for a minute and just stop, that's pretty, that's pretty darn great. You know, and when something, I guess here's, here's where I'm at in life. You know, I, I know that for all of us, it becomes easy if we know a scripture or two, we can kind of point to scriptures that talk about a changed heart and how someday we'll have it. And we can say, yeah, let's look forward to that day. But but maybe even miss that. No, maybe God's telling me I need to have that now. And the sooner the better. You know? mm-hmm. And so what do you think, Mike? What, you know, when, when uh, Alma asked this uh, famous question, and he wasn't asking it rhetorically, he says, have you experienced this mighty change in your heart? You know, what do you tell someone? What if, if someone says, "Hey, what do I need to do? What do I need to do, Mike Barrett? If if I want to experience this, and I'm I'm not just saying if I just want to hope for Zion, but I want to be one of these people whose hearts are changed. Where do I start? Yeah, um, based on what we've circling back around, and what a great discussion this has been. Go back to the New Testament then with, with some of this knowledge that we've kind of looked at in the Book of Mormon um, of works and, and then what Paul's talking about, if we can. Circle back to the New Testament. Well, you know, this is kind of where we started. And remember, Martin Luther brings up this point, and it's not a true point, but it seems to be one that the world's latched onto, is that somehow grace and works aren't reconcilable. Well, again, we've defined that, you know, grace is the response of Jesus and then our response to him but the works, part of it was the works of the Mosaic Law. And I think it'd be good if we look at a couple of New Testament scriptures. I want to preface all of them with, with some wisdom Paul shares. 2 Corinthians 3, it, it, starting at verse 12, he states something. He says, we're using great plainness of speech. He said, not as Moses, who put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly 
Look to the end of that which is abolished. In other words, the veil Moses puts on his face, he comes off this mountain and he's radiating and the people don't realize, they don't know what's going on. And he doesn't even realize at first that he's kind of glowing and he puts his veil over his face as he's speaking to the people. But it talks about this veil being symbolic of the blindness of their understanding. They did. It's almost like the veil separated their understanding of what Moses was telling them. And, and so Paul writes this, 2 Corinthians 3.14, he said, their minds, the Hebrews' minds, they were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. So here we've got this nugget of, of wisdom where it's saying, the Old Testament, this law of Moses was pointing towards Christ, but if you don't realize it pointed towards Christ, you're going to be blinded. You're, you're not going to have an understanding. So that's why the beauty of the Book of Mormon is is worth digging into this understanding that the Nephites had that the law of Moses pointed towards Jesus, it's huge. So taking that back and applying it to the New Testament, we can we can learn quite a bit. And so just to share a few of those scriptures uh, before we close up, and I know we could go really deep into this, but just as sort of an overview, I, I just like to share a few of those. Paul ends this passage in 2 Corinthians 3 this way. He says, but unto this day when Moses is read, or the, the law of Moses, the Old Testament, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when their heart shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now that's important that we realize that is going to happen prophetically in a day to come. The, the Jews come back to Christ. The veil is taken away because they realize who Christ is. But what Paul was saying is, is worth looking back into now. So we had the Nephites who understand that it points towards Christ. Now remember what Mosiah, King Benjamin's teaching in the first chapter of Mosiah, he says, this law was given to stiff-necked, disobedient people. Well, Galatians 3.19, Paul writes the same. He says, wherefore then the law, the law of Moses, was added because of transgressions. So that perfectly cross-correlates with Mosiah 1, verse 110 through 113. The law was given because they were disobedient people. And then he uh, continues um, even the apostles of Jesus with him didn't get it. On the road to Emmaus, uh, an important piece of New Testament information here is when Jesus comes and they don't recognize it's him and he's walking on the road with these couple apostles, and he's, and it's written in Luke 24, starting at verse 43. It, Jesus says to them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all these things might be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and psalms concerning me. Now, Jesus is speaking this to them on the road to Emmaus. And it's so, so he begins back at the law of Moses and the prophets, and he explains how it all pointed towards them. And they said, man, our hearts burned within us when we understood this. They finally saw, these apostles saw, what Nephi had understood all along, that it all pointed towards Jesus. So you have to remember, though, that these epistles we get in the New Testament were largely pointed towards First Testament Jews, or First Century Jews, uh, not First Testament, First Century Jews in the New Testament, and also Gentiles of the day. The message was specific to them. And so Paul writes, remember how Nephi says the, the law had become dead unto them, and the, the deadness was something they were showing their children so they could become alive in Christ? Well, Romans 7.4, Paul writes this, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye would be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, 
that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Now, what is that talking about? That's works, right? That we bring forth works to God, that we become dead to the old law, that we're now married to this, it uses the word married symbolically, we're now married to Christ, the one who was raised from the dead, that we should bring forth good fruit. That's Romans 7, 4. So it's saying this, hey, the law of Moses' law, works are done, we're now joined to Christ, and we're supposed to bring forth fruit because we believe, because we follow him. Romans 10, 4, for Christ is the end of the law, the, the fulfilling of it for righteousness to everyone that believes. You know, that's what Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 were talking about. Hey, we're not saved by works, we're saved by faith. This is what it's saying here in Romans. Christ is the point of it all for everyone who believes. Um, Galatians 9, uh, 3, 19 adds, the law was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made in the law given to Moses, who was ordained by the hand of angels to be a mediator of this first covenant. You know, once again, pointing towards the fact that the law was given to point to Jesus. Galatians, Romans, they're all saying what Nephi was writing. It all points towards Jesus. So with that understanding now, we begin to understand some of the language of the New Testament and perhaps can see how it's been a little twisted, not blaming Luther only, but Partly because while he did a great job pointing out that, hey, salvation doesn't come by works, the, the works and grace that Jesus are talking about are the package that is developed when you turn to Christ. You respond to that grace of Jesus Christ, that forgiveness, and you become a new creature in him. And that becomes the evidence in your life. Those are the works of Christ. So, I like how you said that works and grace is, is a package. It, it a can't package. be separated. It can't be separated. I think. The logical, uh, like a logical step, maybe next would be, since we've been uh, hammering on, uh, you know, easy believism or whatever you want to call it, that there is actually work to be done. That we should, uh, we should back that up and then look into the scriptures and say, what is the work of a believer? What is the yes. work of a Christian? Yes. What is my work? Being a disciple of Christ each and every day, from the time I get up to the time I go to bed. What does God require uh, of me and and I believe as we point those scriptures out, even though we we may have been kind of hard on Protestants or certain and, theologians, and not trying to right I mean, within that world, they're a lot certain, harder on certain, us. Right, <laughs> yeah, certain debates that could go on and on. I think as we do this, we find that uh, there really is not as much of a debate as we think it is. No. It's just the wrong terminology, and we all agree as believers in Christ that we should be doing certain things. And uh, I'm excited to look into i love making things simple Corey. i love taking all of these scriptures and just saying how does this pertain to me today right, what should i right. be about today what can i be doing uh, instead of focusing on all the things the church isn't doing right now what can i be doing as a follower and a disciple of christ um, boy that's the question mike and, and especially for our people who i think and, and i don't want to sound judgmental in this but i think we've been a little bit lulled to sleep by feeling like there's a there's a consistent message that we've heard through our generation that all we have to do is wait for Zion and then everything's okay. It's it's as if we don't have to change either. It's almost like we've been given a pass, if you will. Uh, and I can't speak for everyone, but I, I feel like in my own life, somehow I thought that because I found the, the gospel, as we called it, this unique gift that was given to the Gentiles, that by simply being in what I deemed the right church, that was all I needed to do and find. 
And yet God asks, as he's asked everyone from the beginning, to, to be changed by his spirit. And, and so let, let's talk about that. Let's, let's ask that question. So what must I do? What must I do? And, and, and as we've talked about, it's not what church you belong to, because in the end, there will only be two churches, the and there's church always, of Christ. And there's really all, only ever been two churches when it comes down to it. Those who are baptized by his spirit and changed and become broken and contrite, and those who aren't. Right. Well, that's, uh, that's a good place to pick up. Say that again. What must I do? Yeah. What must I do? Just so I can remember, because <laughs> so I can remember where where we are headed. Well, I hope everybody. You have anything else, Corey? No, that you want no, to add? that's good. And I, you know, again, there's lots of other scriptures, and I would just say if people like to scripture study, you can search uh, words like the law. Uh, you'll find Old Testament, New Testament. You'll see where the law was laid out, but then you'll see how often they discussed it in the New Testament. Uh, and you'll see the works of the law. You'll see all this as maybe more of a 30,000-foot view of the New Testament, realizing, my gosh, the message that the Book of Mormon and the, and the New Testament have, read them together, and you'll come to understanding. And, and, and in the end, we aren't fighting this argument anymore. Are there works or is it faith? We realize that to be a, a believer in Jesus means that you become a doer and that you respond to his spirit. And so now let's let's figure out what our journey forward is going to be in the light of his spirit. Amen. I can't wait for the next one. Me neither. See where the journey takes us. God bless.